Well, uh, let me ask you this question. How many of you can remember, for those of you who are married, the person who married you? Just by a show of hands. I see that hand. Okay. Uh, you can remember the person who married you. My assumption is, because I, I do a lot of weddings, there are several of you in here that, that I have married. There are some in here who I will marry in the, uh, in the near future, some maybe in the distant future, hopefully the not too distant future for some of my friends over here that I've been trying to connect with each other for a little while. Um, but every wedding that I have done, I actually, I have, I have a little booklet of, of wedding ceremonies. When someone comes to me and says, Christian, we want you to marry us, um, I'll give them this book, and there's 25 different ceremonies in here, vow, you know, from really formal, almost old English-sounding vows to, um, you know, hey, do you love her, do you love him, yeah, yeah, to ring ceremonies, to unity candles, to communion, to whatever, but almost all of them in the exact same way, and I assume that your wedding ended the exact same way mine did, where the pastor eventually gets everything done and cuts through the nonsense, and he gets to the end, and he says, I now pronounce you husbands and wives, and he says to the husband, husband, you may kiss your bride. Is that how your wedding ended or something similar to that? Well, after studying Genesis chapter 1, where we have been, we've been camped out in the story of Adam and Eve for three weeks, I have decided that if I could go back and do it again, I would want God to marry me. Because God only, from what I understand in Scripture, God only performed one wedding, uh, and it was Adam and Eve. He put these two people together. They were the only couple that he presided over them officially becoming husband and wife, but he did not close by saying, Adam, here is Eve, you may kiss your bride. He'd actually, according to Genesis 1, went something like this, Adam, here is Eve, I now pronounce you husband and wife, um, and you should go have sex now. That's, that's how God closes a wedding. Now, if I did that, some of your grandmas would pass out, and your great aunts would think that I was a heretic, but if we look closely at Genesis 1, we're going to find an immediate connection between sex and marriage that we are going to study today. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go to Genesis chapter 1. Now, our ushers are going to come down the aisle. If you don't have a Bible, they will have some that, uh, that you can use. Just wave at them. Uh, if you forgot a Bible or don't have a Bible, we've given away more than 400 Bibles since our church started about a year and a half ago. Uh, just like this. If you forgot yours, you'll want to have one today because we're going to open and read God's Word like we do every Sunday. Um, if you don't have one, put your name in it. This is yours. Keep it. It's our gift to you. If you're just borrowing it today, use it. Feel free to write in it and throw it on the table when you leave. Uh, but we're in Genesis chapter 1 today, and I want you to get your sermon notes ready because we're also going to, uh, I'm going to ask you to take some notes from time to time about what we're learning. But as we have worked our way into the third week of our series on marriage, we are going to discuss today the importance of sex in marriage. And you're going to find out that this is, um, if, if you were in my position, um, and first do that. Everyone just take a deep breath because you're making me nervous. You're looking at me like I'm a pervert or something. I'm just going to read the Bible and, and talk about what God talks about. But as, as nervous as you are feeling, I'm ten times more because I'm up here and you're all looking at me. So relax, kind of, you know, r shake your shoulders out a little bit because you're looking at me like, well, what is he going to say and is he going to offend me and am I going to have to go home and have sex right now? And is it, you know, so I, I, I don't want any of that. Just chill out and let's just study God's word together. Because we're going to find out that this is a major issue in marriages today. And the Bible has a lot more, probably, than you understand to say about marriage and sex in marriage. Uh, I had someone who, uh, who told me during the week, they said, Christian, they come to our church, a young single gal. She said, I have invited my parents to church with me this weekend. And Christian, the only other time they've came was last February when you spoke on sex, and now they're coming this weekend, and I'm afraid that they're going to think like you're the sex pastor. So is that, is that bad? And I said, well, I'm not 
the sex pastor, but I am once a year going to preach on sex and talk about it in marriage because God did. And in Genesis chapter 1, God had no longer, um, no, no quicker put Adam and Eve together than he said, get off and, and start having sex. Um, you say, where is that? Genesis 1. Then God said in verse 26, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock, over all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said, this is the very first words out of God's mouth to humanity, according to Genesis chapter 1, 28. The first thing God said, be fruitful and increase in number. Now, how do you do that? Because they were not gremlins, and because they were not aliens, the only way Adam and Eve could be fruitful and increase in number was to have sex. The very first thing God ever said to the very first couple was, I now pronounce you husband and wife, now go have sex. That's where I got that from. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and over every living creature that moves along the ground. Listen to me, folks. I am convinced in marriage today, specifically in Christian marriage, but I, I believe in marriages today, there's trouble in the bedroom. And when there is trouble in the bedroom, there's going to be trouble in the marriage, and we have to do something about that. And the first thing we have to do is say, what is, like, what does God say to do? Um, and it's interesting because we learned some pretty dynamic truth about sex and marriage from Scripture. Now, last year, I had a hunch that the marriages in our church, some of them were broken sexually. Uh, and that ended up being very, very true. As I, as I talked to people after the series, we had last week what we called Sex Week at JCI. We're going to repeat that this week. But last week, our challenge was, I had, I had read a book by Ed Young Jr., who's a pastor in Texas, um, called The Sex Experiment. And he had challenged, he's got like 20,000 people who come to his church, and he challenged all of them to have sex every day for a week, seven days in a row. And I had read that book, and I thought, my church will, and my wife will think I have lost my mind if I try to give our church that challenge. So last week, I said, I want you to have sex three times this week. And that was kind of the challenge. Just go home and have three, sex three times this week. And what happened in our church was the very beginning uh, for some intimacy, for some healing, for some communication. And what we found out is we had a lot of marriages that were radically broken in the bedroom for a lot of different reasons. And no one really felt permission to talk about it because, in, you know, Christians don't really talk about sex. That's kind of hidden. That's at home. We don't discuss it, even though it's all over the Bible. Uh, we don't discuss it, and we found out that, that it was a real healing week just by people getting the issue out on the table and discussing it. So I'm actually going to do something I've never done. I try to at the end of every message say, here's what I want you to go do. We call them next steps. I've actually put the next steps at the beginning. So I'm going to tell you what I want you to do before I preach the sermon to you so that you can understand, here's what I'm asking you to do, and then I'm going to come and tell you why the Bible says that you should do that, and then I'll remind you at the end what I want you to do, but don't freak out yet, okay? Give me till the end of the message to explain myself because we have raised the stakes on Sex Week at JCI this year. Uh, here's goal number one. By the way, this is for married couples. If some of you single folks hook up this week, especially if you go to our church, I'm gonna kill you and then I'll have to counsel you and all that stuff, so don't do it. This is for the married folks in our church. Bullet point number one, I want you to schedule and have sex five days this week. Now, some of you, <laughs> yeah, um, 
Yeah, some of you are excited. Some of you are now scared. Some couples are like, you know, that's a normal week, and you need to know we hate you. For those of you that that's your life, it's like, um, we hate you and admire you at the exact same time, and, and some weeks we might want to be you. But, that, you know, that's just me. Um, but, but I want you to schedule and have sex five days this week. Now, some of you, like my brother in the couple front rows that said preach on, are like, yes. Some of you, for some reason, that you're going to have to figure out this week, your heart just dropped, and your heart sunk. And you're married, you love your husband, you love your wife, but you don't want to do this. And this scares you. And right now, there's extreme sexual conflict and tension in your home, and you're going to be like some couples last year in our church, some couples didn't have sex one time during the week, but for the first time in their lives, they talked about why there was so much anxiety, discomfort, um, separation sexually in a relationship. And you're going to have to work through those things. I mean, you know, it, it's crazy how far we've come from, you know, teenagers who couldn't make it through a movie without making out. Teenagers who would break curfew and go to the wrong places with the wrong people um, when we weren't supposed to go just, just, to, uh, just to make out with someone a little bit to now we're happily married um, and we don't want to have sex with our spouse. And what I found out last year is we had many, multiple, Dozens of couples in our church that hadn't been intimate in weeks or months, some years, and we began to understand there's some unhealthy sexual tendencies in some marriages that need to be addressed. So I want you to schedule and have sex five days this week. If that doesn't excite you to go ahead and try to do that, bullet point number two, you need to discuss out loud with your spouse what intimacy issues that you have in your heart openly and honestly. And I'm going to share with you some of the ones we learned about last year. What, what's going on from keeping you from giving yourself sexually to your husband and to your wife? And then three, and you'll understand this one more at the end of the message, but you've got to agree as a couple um, how often you're going to plan to have sex during the week. You're going to have to come up with kind of like a sexual plan for your life because as you're going to find out by the time we get through this message, life will not stop. Um, you won't have these romantic moments where you just have enough, you know, passionate moments in life to get you through. You're actually going to have to plan to be sexually intimate and have this be a part of your life. Now, if you have questions while we're going through this message, there's a, um, a little card that we gave you uh, that looks like this. Um, and if you have questions about marriage, about sex and marriage, about anything, on March 3rd, two weeks from today, Danielle and I are going to sit on the stage in two stools. We're doing a, a message called Marriage One-to-One, -one, and we're just going to answer questions that you've been submitting about marriage uh, all month long. Here's some of the questions that got submitted last week uh, if you're wondering some of the things we're going to talk about. Christian, if my emotional connection is not with my spouse and we aren't communicating, can the marriage be saved? Um, Christian, can you give practical reasons why a Christian shouldn't marry someone who's not a Christian? Uh, I'm recently divorced and I'm madly in love again, but I want to make sure I don't allow my selfishness to enter my new relationship. What does God say about me remarrying? How young is too young to get married. Um, what is God's answer to finding out that your spouse is gay? Can I get a divorce? Um, I feel that I should avoid any possibilities of love with anyone, should it be this way. Uh, how do you know when you've met the person you're going to be married? How can you be sure? Aside from being a Christian, what one trait should I look for in a future spouse? How can a spouse overcome a previous divorce and move on? Uh, when you try to bring issues to the table with resolutions and it is ignored, what, what is, what's the next step? What, what can I do next? So, 
your marriage questions. Give them to us. We'll try to get through as many as we can that Sunday. We'll try to talk openly and honestly about your marriage questions that you have for us. You don't have to put your name on this card. You can throw your question. It's confidential. We won't know who put it. But we want to try to help you do that. Next week, I'm giving a message uh, titled Warning Signs of an Affair. Uh, and it's, it's going to be a... Uh, man, next week for the marriages in this room, I feel like is really important, especially the age that we live in. You wonder why so many marriages fall apart so easily. I'm going to give you seven warning signs next week that an affair could be possible in your life and your marriage could be on a slippery slope. So next week, it's going to be a big message. But today, uh, we're talking about what the Bible says about sex. I want you to hear clearly what I said. We're not talking about what Christian says about sex. We're not talking about all of my thoughts and opinions. We're going to talk today about what the Bible says about sex And we're going to talk to married couples, and I'll tell you why specifically uh, I'm talking to married couples as we get into the message here. Number one, first thing you need to understand, and and you need to understand how carefully I uh, crafted this statement. I actually wrote this three or four different ways. Uh, I didn't like the sound of it because it sounded harsh, but the more I studied Scripture, the more I believed that, um, that, that this was God's statement, not mine. So I'm comfortable saying what God says. Uh, The Bible says that married couples that don't have frequent sex are wrong. They say, Christian, you've offended me. I've not meant to offend you. Um, I've not meant to throw a wrench into your marriage. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. The Bible says married couples that aren't having sex are wrong spiritually. And it's dangerous for your marriage. Say, where is it? 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn over there. Because I want to read to you exactly where I'm getting this statement from and exactly why this statement is giving. The the book of 1 Corinthians was written to a church in a city called Corinth. The only thing you need to know about Corinth is Corinth 2,000 years ago was the Las Vegas of its day times 10. What happened in Corinth stayed in Corinth type of deal. Corinth had more prostitutes and strippers and bathhouses and uh, sex houses and probably any place in the Roman world at the time. And Rome, I mean, was filled with wickedness and, and Corinth was like the worst. And Paul had gone to Corinth and he had started a church there. And here's what happened. People, you know, strippers got saved and prostitutes got saved. And they had male prostitutes and female prostitutes and they had all kinds of probably swinging and this and that and open marriages and I mean things were crazy sexually in Corinth and people become Christians and one of the things that Paul said is listen man you need to be sexually pure so everyone quit having sex now that was good for people who weren't married but married couples quit having sex and Paul wrote a letter to him and in first Corinthians chapter 7 he said now listen if you're single you need to be sexually pure however if you're married Here's, here's what Paul says, starting in verse 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 3. If you're, I'll start in verse 1, just to give you the whole background. Now, for the matters you wrote about, because they asked Paul, like, should we have sex or should we not have sex? Paul says, for the matters you wrote about, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his wife and each woman with her husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife And likewise, the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but she yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but he yields it to his wife. Don't deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack 
of self-control. Listen, Paul said, if you are married, it's wrong not to have sex. He actually said, if you're married, you have to have sex. Because it's the spiritual, biblical, correct thing for you to do. Now, I normally don't read long narratives in, uh, in church because I, I hate to look at a pastor who's reading instead of speaking to me. But I was doing some research on 1 Corinthians chapter 7 this week, and I, I went to one of, one, of the New one of the foremost New Testament experts in the world, and his name is Dr. John MacArthur. He's got a church in California that he pastors. And he is hyper-conservative in everything. And I thought, I wonder what Dr. MacArthur thinks of, I mean, about this verse. Is this really saying that married couples have to have sex, and if you're married and you don't have sex, you're wrong? And I thought, what does Dr. MacArthur say? And I read this to Danielle, and I said, I feel like I should read this to all our people because this guy is one of the foremost experts in the world on the New Testament, but it's really long. And Danielle said, no, you need to read that. So listen to what one of the, one of the best New Testament experts in the world says about this concept that married people have to have sex, and if you don't, you're wrong. MacArthur says married believers are not to sexually deprive their spouses. God holds all marriage to be sacred, and he holds sexual relations between a husband and wife not only to be sacred, but proper and even obligatory. What's that mean? Sometimes it feels like an obligation, but you've got to do it anyway. It's healthy. Paul makes it clear that physical relations within the marriage are not simply a privilege and a pleasure, but a responsibility. Husbands and wives have a duty to give sexual satisfaction to each other. Failure for Christian husbands and wives to submit sexually to the authority of their spouses brings dishonor to God because it dishonors marriage. Sexual expression within marriage is not an option. It's not an extra. It's far more than a physical act. God created it to be the expression and experience of love on the deepest human level and to be a beautiful and powerful bond between husband and wife. God intends for marriage to be a permanent and for the sexual relationship within it to be permanent. Sexual relations between a husband and his wife are God-ordained and they are commanded. Listen, if you believe this book, if John 3.16 means something to you, that God for, for so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish but have everlasting life, if, if you put your hope and faith in God's word, then you have to understand if you are married, it is wrong for you to not be having frequent sex with your spouse. Now, if you want to tear that page out and just rip it up and just tear it out and throw it away, that's great. But what you're saying is, God, I trust you with my soul but not with my marriage. God, I want to go to heaven, but I do not want to live life like you tell me to live life because God is saying married couples should have frequent sex with each other. Now listen, if you are married in here and you're not having sex uh, for prolonged periods of time, you need to talk to your spouse. And you need to figure out wh what's going on. Because last year we found out some things in our church that we were unaware of. Uh, we had couples last year, like I said, that um, they wrote to me and said, Christian, the, the, the sex week challenge um, changed our marriage, and we didn't have sex this week. But for the first time, we were able to talk about some feelings and what was holding me back. We had wives who told their husband for the very first time, when you cheated on me in college, and once we, I've held that against you since college. Even though we got back together, I've held that against you forever. We had um, husbands that told their wives, I was so intimidated by your first husband in your first marriage that I just didn't feel like I could give myself to you sexually. We had spouses that came together and figured out that the financial pressures and the debt that they were living in was causing neither of them to have any kind of sex drive and their sex problems were actually financially driven. 
Um, we had husbands who said, you know, I come home every day and the dog is barking and the house is a mess and there's kids and I just have no sex drive. And wives who said, my husband comes home and he's rude to me, you know, or he comes home late and I have no sex. So we, we got all these things out on the table that were like, you know, we realize we do have sexual tension, but finally now we're talking about it. Uh, we had men who said, I, I have been so deep for so long in pornography that sex with my wife is boring. We had women who said, I've been so caught up in romance novels like Twilight or new books like Fifty Shades of Grey that my husband does not excite me anymore because I live in that fantasy world now. And he's just kind of my husband, but my romanticism and sexual appetite, I get, I get somewhere else. And listen, if you're a Christian and you believe God's word and you hear 1 Corinthians chapter 7, which is not my advice, it's God's through the Apostle Paul, and you're saying, you know, Christian... Our sex life is broken spiritually. you got to figure out why. And maybe that's the first goal this week, whether you've been married a year or 40 years. you got to figure out what's wrong that you're not able to happily fulfill this text. Because according to Scripture, this is the truth in marriage that we cling to. And it's interesting. Look what happens according to 1 Corinthians 7-5 when you don't have regular sex, when you're not having frequent sex, when you deprive one another, the Apostle Paul says this, and I love, these, I love the way he phrases it because it's almost like this should never happen, but, he, but here's the only reason. Paul said, don't deprive each other except perhaps. If you have your Bible, you need to circle the word perhaps. Basically, he's saying like, don't ever do this, but like if there's, if there's one good reason, per, if perhaps, there's, he said, don't deprive yourself except perhaps by mutual consent for a time so that you can devote yourselves to prayer. Listen, ladies, from this point forward, the only suitable excuse you ever have when your husband says, hey, you want to, you know, um, all, the only, if you want to say no, you have to say, you know, I just really feel led to pray right now. Um, that's the only, no more headaches, no more I'm too tired, no, you know, no more the kids aren't asleep, or I got a lot on my mind. God said, Paul says, if you're going to say no, you better be praying. Um, and then when you're done praying, we'll see how long you can pray. Some of you ladies are going to learn how to pray because you, uh, you got to pray. You know what I mean? Um, Paul says, listen, don't deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent for a time so that you can devote yourselves to prayer. Okay, we get that, Paul. But then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, I believe as we walked our, our way through this series last year, I believe the greatest temptation in marriage when when there is uh when there's a lack of frequent sexual activity i do not believe the greatest temptation is to go have a sexual affair i believe the greatest temptation is to develop sexual bitterness towards your spouse that lingers that hangs around and that shapes everything and as we study bitterness in scripture here's what we learn number two i mean if if the bible says that married couples who are not having frequent sex are wrong the Bible also says that sexual bitterness in marriage is dangerous, man. And it's crazy the number of people that used this word when discussing my husband or my wife. When I feel deprived, Paul used a real good word. When I feel like my wife and I are not on the same page sexually, I begin to get bitter towards her. And it's interesting because the bitterness comes out in the strangest places and like you're not even expecting it and you're like, I didn't even realize it, but I guess I am. I guess I am maybe a little bitter um, deep down. Let me, let me tell you how I realized this um, a few years ago. Uh, Danielle and I have been reading um, books to our kids on 
you know, basically teaching our kids about sex. Um, and I want to encourage every parent. Dad, it's your responsibility to teach your kids about sex, your son. Mom, it's your responsibility. Everything I'm teaching you, mother, you need to teach your daughter before her wedding day. Dads, everything I'm saying to you, you need to teach your kids before they turn really 13 and hit puberty and begin trying to figure it out for themselves because there are too many young men like me who learned human anatomy by watching pornography because nobody spoke into my life. You didn't talk about things like that at church or at home. So it's like just turn on the video and it's like, oh, that's the way it works? That is crazy. You know, I mean, at, at 13, 14, I wish my dad would have said, Christian, this is the way it works. So we've got these little book series from Focus on the Family that we read at certain times. If you want to know them, put on your connection card. Just put sex books for kids, and we will email you and tell you the series to buy. But one of the books I had to read Christian last year um, was a book called Before I Was Born that talks about um, book one is the difference between men and women. Book two is how a man and a woman fall in love and get married and it begins to teach them about sex and where kids come from and how that happens. So I'm sitting downstairs with my nine-year-old son, and we're reading, and I mean, we're laughing, um, because, you know, because it's just uncomfortable. You know, it's like, boys have this, and girls have this. And my son was like, well, what about Rudy, who's our dog? And I was like, well, he's a boy, so he, he has this. Um, you know, and it, I mean, we were just laughing and having a good time. And I get to the page of, about marriage, and it's, you know, got little pictures of a mom and dad smiling in bed together. Um, and it says this in the book that I'm reading to my nine-year-old. If you think it's uncomfortable preaching to adults about sex, try talking to your nine-year-old who's laughing the whole time. Um, it says, because the man and woman are married, their bodies belong to each other. They enjoy holding each other close. When a husband and wife lie close together, talks about how everything fits properly. Um, and then it says, husbands and wives want to be alone during sex so they can think only of each other. And that's not even the end of the page, and Christian interrupts, and he says, wait a minute, Dad, do you and Mom do that? <laughs> and I said, um, yes. And he said, well, when? And I said, well, you know, when you're at school, or when you're in bed, or, you know, when, you know, when, when you're not around. Um, he said, well, how much do you do it? And without even thinking, I said, not enough. <laughs> and I thought... Here I am talking to my nine-year-old son like he's a sex therapist, right? You know, <laughs> Christian, how many times, you know? I don't, you know, I, and, and I realized, I was like, what, you know, what's up with that? What, what is up with that answer, not enough? And I thought to myself for the first time, how much is enough? And I thought, I've been married 13 years to my wife, and we have never sat down and asked each other, um, how many times a week uh, do you want to make love? How many times a week? Do I want to make love? How, how are we going to do this? Do, um, do you enjoy uh, making love better in the evening or in the morning? We, we never talked about it because Christians don't talk about sex. And I thought, you know, I've got this underlying bitterness in me because I've never even had the conversation with my wife because it's uncomfortable. And as Daniel and I began to talk through this, and then as I felt led to preach on it to our whole church, I mean, we saw the level of our relationship move to a whole new level of intimacy, of love, of dependence on one another. Um, and it wasn't even that we were much more sexually active, but we had sexual peace of mind because we talked through the bitterness of this and that. And, well, you did this one time. And I'll tell you, one, one of the things as we have dealt with couples, let me talk to those of you who are not married for a minute. One of the greatest forms of sexual intimidation and bitterness in marriage are all the previous sexual relationships you've had before you get married. When I talk to husbands and wives that are at odds sexually, 
usually it traces back to a former girlfriend, a former boyfriend, a former fiance, a previous spouse. That's why I, I want to employ you. If you are not married, don't have sex. Don't have sex. Say, well, I really love my girlfriend. I want to have sex with her. Then get married. But God says this is for marriage, and, and when you're married, it's go time. But if it's before marriage, all you're going to do is mess up marriage one day in the future because you're going to have this baggage that, that's going to bruise your spouse deeply, and you're going to have to work through it. So you, we need to learn how to, how to work through, how to talk through, how to move through bitterness. Webster's Dictionary defines bitterness as a deep-seated ill will. Something deep inside that's always angry. In Acts chapter 8, we see the danger of bitterness. The apostle Peter is speaking to a man named Simon who's just living for himself. He's selfish. Things aren't going well. And Peter looks at him, and in Acts 8.32, he said, I see that you're full of bitterness, and you're held captive to sin. He literally said, your bitterness has put you in prison. You've been imprisoned by your bitterness, and you, you now live in this state of anger and rage and discontent. You are in a prison of your own bitterness. You have to learn to work through bitterness. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 30 through 32, Paul talks about the things that we need to get over in order that we can grow spiritually, and bitterness is one of those. In Ephesians 4, 30 through 32, Paul said, Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. He basically said, you know, don't, don't live your life in a way that, that always hurts God. And here's what he said in verse 31. He said, Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Now, stop right there. If we just look at verse 31, and I think it's on the screen behind me, if any of those other things were in our marriage, we'd be in ma we would know we were in major trouble. If our marriage was characterized by rage, we'd be in trouble. If our marriage was characterized by anger, we'd be in trouble. If our marriage was characterized by brawling, we would be in jail. If our marriage was characterized by slander and name-calling, that would never work. If our marriage was characterized by every form of malice, which means I'm out to get you with evil intent, that would never work. But we hear bitterness, and it's like, yeah, that's just an emotion. No, that is a deep, seated thing in your life that can kill your marriage and some of you like me have this bitterness that's not even real because you've never even had a discussion and your spouse may say i'm fine with that or i'm fine with that and you're like wow you know i guess we should have talked about this earlier because we know according to the bible that this is one of the tools that satan uses when couples are not having frequent sex. So what, so what happens? Get rid of bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice, and then be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ and God forgave you. So, so we see an important way to get rid of bitterness here. One of the ways, as Paul says, you need to, have, you need to be compassionate towards another person. Now this word compassionate, the, the original Bible was written in Greek, not English. Um, and the Greek language is a very pit picturesque language, so it tries to draw pictures instead of state words. And the word compassion in the Greek language is the word intestines, or, or kind of your inner bowels. And you think, that's weird. Here's what it means. Compassion, when it was written in the New Testament, meant this. Have you ever been watching something on TV? I love to watch sports. Uh, I was watching a college football game earlier in the year where some guy got his knee grotesquely dislocated. I mean, he got hit, and his leg went one way, and his knee went the other or maybe you were watching the X Games and, and saw that snowmobiler who was killed and his snowmobile literally landed and caved in his chest. The, the word compassion literally means you're watching something that when you see it, 
you, it kind of makes you sick to your stomach. Have you ever seen anything like that? You, you see something and you're like, ooh, it's like you feel it in your gut. That's what compassion means. Paul said you literally, for a split second, you feel in your gut what that person is feeling. That's compassion. Here's what some of you need to do who are not wanting to have frequent sex for one reason or another. You need to help your spouse understand what you're feeling and why, why you're feeling it. Because many of them don't know. They're not aware. And they're hurt. And they're wounded. And they think you're against them. And they think you don't like them. And they think you're not attracted to them anymore. And, and all the while, you're feeling this thing that you've never helped them feel. So they don't know. And on the inside, they're bitter. And they're angry. And they're hurt. And they've lost all self-esteem. And eventually, they're going to lose self-control. And, and things are bad because they don't even know what you're feeling. So if, if you're here and there's something wrong, you have to help your spouse feel what you feel. You have to let them know why you feel the way you feel. But if you're the party who's hurt and who doesn't understand what's going on, Ephesians 4.32 says, when you learn, you need to forgive and you need to be patient. And you need to, as your spouse begins to help you feel what they feel and they help you understand why they're struggling with sexual intimacy, you need to forgive them, you need to be patient with them, you need to walk slowly with them. That's what's going to happen for some couples this week. You're, you might not have sex this week, this month, for several months, but you'll begin working through the reasons for that in your life, and it's going to lead to tremendous intimacy in your life. You've got to be honest sexually. You've got to be honest spiritually in this area. And then finally, number three, and this is really important because I don't think a lot of us are real bitter, and I don't know that a lot of us uh, hope to have um, infrequent sex, but you have to realize in life that sexual moments, uh, what I would call, you know, moments where you just, you, you both feel in the mood at the same time and it's just right, those are fantasy. Those aren't real. Um, you know, I don't know who created the Cialis commercial, but they're, they're full of it. You know, there's never been a moment, Danielle and I have been married for 14 years, where we've looked at each other across the, the, the table while she's getting dinner ready. Usually she's angry at me when she's getting dinner ready. I'm not even sure why, but there's never been a moment where it's like, you know, quit chopping the tomatoes and let's take a walk into the woods and fill up two bathtubs and, you know, just hang out. In the, I mean, that never, has never happened to me. Maybe it happens to you. There are very few moments where, our, I, there are very few sexual moments that present where it's just, you know, it, it's just ready to go. As a matter of fact, there's very few. If you're like me, um, you're young, married, young kids, uh, you have very few moments in your life for anything, uh, much less sex. Uh, we will leave uh, on Thursday a group of 11 of us to go to India to minister in three orphanages that we support with orphan girls uh, for a period of about 10 days. And one of the things we're doing over there, we'll be with between three and 400 orphan girls who have nothing. And literally, they have nothing. Many of those we support. And, and we are, um, Build-A-Bear has, one of the people on our team wrote a letter to Build-A-Bear, said, hey, I'm going over to minister to orphan girls. Will you guys give us some teddy bears? And they don't, Build-A-Bear donated 100 teddy bears for us to take on the trip so that we could give one of the orphanages we're going to um, every girl a teddy bear, which they have none of those. So we're getting everything packed and we're putting everything together and we don't want to pay all these baggage fees. So one of our guys got these like vacuum packed bag things. This is a bunch of deformed, scary looking teddy bears all crammed together. Uh, and we're actually losing some of the vacuum seal. It was like half this size earlier. But Tuesday night we had a kind of a packing party at my house where we all packed the stuff. And we crammed as many bears in here as we could fit. And then we sucked all the air out to get the maximum amount of space 
that we could throw these things in, in a bag. And when I looked at this, I thought, reflecting on the Bible study we were going to have today, I thought, this is our life. We have crammed our life so full of stuff, job, work, hobby, kids, exercise, whatever, that not only have we filled our life, then anything extra, we've gone ahead and sucked out all the air so we can be as efficient with our time as possible, and we wonder why we don't have time for sex. We have time for nothing because we have filled up our life, we've sucked out all the excess, and, and literally that's what our schedule looks like. It's like, Christian, I just don't have time. I would love to have sex five times this week, but I don't know that I'm going to eat lunch five times this week, so it's not going to happen. And what I've learned is we have to make time for things that the Bible says are important. Some of you are like me, and you have kids. Um, and for those of you who have kids, you know that kids are sex killers. I heard a pastor one day say, kids stands for this, keeping intimacy at a distance successfully. Um, if you have kids, you never have time to do nothing. Um, last Saturday, not yesterday, but last Saturday, Danielle and I got to sleep in a little bit, and you know, we woke up late, we're laying in bed, and I was like, hey, you want to... Uh, like do some sermon research with me for um, in two weeks and she was like I don't know are the kids awake and I was like who cares just lock the door so you know we we start talk we start talking about some sermon research stuff um, and we hear our kids bang 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 coming up the steps and it's like oh no there's a kid so you know it's like freeze like you're in high school again it's like they're you know you should just say leave we are having sex get out of the room um, but it's like oh no here they come so it's like freeze and they're like banging on the door are you gonna make us breakfast we're like go away you don't need breakfast today, you know, and they, so they run down the stairs, and I was like, so, you know, like, are we going to be able to do this, and bang, 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 there they come back up the stairs, and I hear them start playing with the doorknob, I'm like, what are these little freaks doing, you know, they're 11 and 9, and my son got a paper clip and figured out how to pick the lock on our door, and he came in, and he's like, what are you doing, and we're like, nothing, just go away, go away forever, um, and it's like, there's no time, Christian. I would love to be intimate. There's no time. My kids are crazy. Listen, this is why the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 5, 15 and 16, that you've got to be careful how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Here's what the Apostle Paul is saying. You're going to learn there's no time for anything in life. And if you're not wise, you won't make time for the things that are most important and you won't do them, and you'll live life foolishly. Uh, Pastor Ed Young, who I got the, the kids stuff from, who gave this experiment of have sex every day for a week, uh, says, says this to his people, you have to make time to make love. You have to make time to make love because your schedule will not afford it for you. Paul says people who make time, people who control their time, people who would carve out time in their schedule specifically to make love, uh, Paul says they're careful. They're wise. He says this about them in Ephesians 5. They are the people who make the most out of life. You know, some of you today, you're not really close sexually, and there's no bitterness, and there's nothing wrong. It's just you're not taking time for this to be important. And 1 Corinthians 7 says you need to. So what's the message review? It's pretty simple. Married couples that don't have frequent sex are wrong, according to the Bible. So what's the Bible say about sex? The Bible says married couples that don't have frequent sex are wrong and you're hurting your marriage. The Bible says that sexual bitterness in marriage is dangerous. And if that bitterness is there, you've got to talk about it. Scripture will tell us that sexual moments and parenting moments and just moments in general are fantasy. We have to manage our time because life will not just create special 
moments for it. So with all that said, what am I asking you to do this week? I'm asking you to schedule and have sex five days this week. Why? Because you will learn no one has time for this. If you're even going to try, you're going to have to like put it on a schedule, put the kids to bed early, get a babysitter, go someplace. You're going to have to realize we're really going to have to work on this. And it'll show you how careful you have to be in planning your time. Um, if there's just a depression fog of this, and you're thinking, Christian, there's no way, bullet point number two, you have to discuss any intimacy issues. Just be open and honest of what is going on that's broken our marriage sexually. Um, and then number three, agree upon how many times each week that you'll plan to have sex. And you won't hit this every week, but the fact that you're talking about it and you're aware of it, man, will take bitterness and throw it out the door and you'll feel so close to one another. So, you remember how God closed a wedding, right? I now pronounce you husband and wife. You should go have sex. If you are married in the room today, it's time to, um, I was going to say get on top of this, but that's a weird way to phrase it within this message. Um, if you're married in this room, you need to take control of this specific issue. Um, talk through it. Work through it. Man, wouldn't you love to be a part of a church that's characterized? We said biblical marriage was people who are defined as best friends and passionate lovers. Wouldn't you love to be in a church full of people not filled with bitterness, close to each other, open with each other, honest with each other. They've forgiven each other. They're working through their problems with each other. This is a big problem in marriage, and if you can get this one fixed, I really believe your marriage could go to a whole nother level. By the way, if you're single, I would not recommend anyone get married before having this entire discussion with their fiance one day. What are your plans? What are your expectations? How do you like to do this? Get it all out in the open because it's going to be one of the first things you struggle with if you don't. Um, if you're divorced in here, work backwards through this and think, where did I possibly, uh, where did it possibly go wrong that as God heals me, uh, I can do better um, if God would allow me to be married again? Lots of good biblical knowledge here for all of us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus' name today. Um, and Lord, we're filled with gratitude that, uh, Lord, while many of us grew up in a house where mom and dad would not talk about this, we went to church and Sunday school where they would not talk about it. We, we went through premarital counseling where it wasn't openly talked about it. God, your word is not shy from talking to us about biblical sex and marriage. And we're thankful for the advice and for the direction and for the challenge. Because once we hear it, it makes a lot of sense. But God, we, some of us have to work our way back through bitterness and hurt and unfulfilled expectations and uh, forgiveness. And we got to kind of work our way back to the beginning of saying, how can we make sure that we are obedient biblically in this area and that we're fulfilled biblically? And God, I pray for the men and women here that you would give us courage and sensitivity at the same time to have conversations about this. I pray for couples that, uh, Lord, will, will try to um, fulfill this goal. I just pray that you'll give them a great week of intimacy, and God, that it'll bring them closer together. And I pray that this week in the life of our church will be marked by intimacy and healing. I pray for those who are single and not married, that this will be a tremendous week of challenge to stop having sex with people who aren't their wife, and of direction to understand how to have a tremendously fulfilling sex life one day when they do get married and you bring them somewhere. God, thank you for your word. 
Thank you for the story of Adam and Eve that uh, we've stretched out three weeks now just learning marriage stuff. Thank you for your word that's filled with so much direction. Lord, may you bless our lives today by what we've learned. We love you. We need you. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name today. And everyone said together.